yeah, talking about love songs and because, again, music can carry such emotion and power with it. You'll be okay, honey. For the first time in my life, I wasn't sure I believed my grandpa. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. To warm your heart and lift your spirit and give flight to your imagination, I'm Sam Payne, your host, and we're going to do all of those things in this hour of the apple seed. You're going to hear from a lot of great tellers. You're going to hear from Diane Edgecombe with a story called Patty Saurus about a little girl who wants nothing more than to be a dinosaur. And, of course, there are entries in the Radio Family Journal for you today and a conversation with Don Shaline about a song that he remembers. You know, great songs that we remember can be the source of stories that we tell around the kitchen table or the living room. And, of course, that kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. So, yeah, going to be a great hour this hour, the Appleseed. And to introduce us to the very first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined here in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Trent Horton. Trent, it's great to have you with me today. Hey, Sam. It's it's great to be here. Tell me about this Glenda Bonin story, Buddy and the Bear. Yeah, so I guess to introduce it, uh, part of the reason I chose it is because, I mean, it takes place outdoors, as you might <laughs> expect from a bear story. Right. <laughs> um, I love being outside. I just love mountain biking, camping, anything that, that's out under the sun. And, uh, and this story takes place in the great outdoors, and it uh, kind of represents one of the risks, I guess, of, of enjoying the wilderness. Sure. But uh, uh, it's a personal tale of when Glenda went fishing with uh, her grandpa. And she was pretty young, and he had this dog named Buddy. And as they're fishing, they're approached by this bear, who I guess decided he wanted to hang out with them <laughs> in a uh, ferocious bear-like way. <laughs> they they luckily survived, but, you know, I don't know if you've ever been camping in the middle of the woods, and it's dark outside, and all of a sudden you have to go to the bathroom. And you have to go wander out and find somewhere to go Sure, all by yourself. And I got to say, it just kind of reminded me of that because I, I know that I've imagined many a bear yeah. while out in the out in the dark woods. <laughs> well, the story is Buddy and the Bear. The storyteller is Glenda Bonin. And we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. My grandpa was the best friend a five-year-old girl could ever have. He knew exactly how to make my troubles go away by making me laugh. He could even get me to drink honey and onion tea whenever I had a cold. It was his own recipe, and I sure wouldn't drink anything that awful for anyone else. But best of all, my grandpa taught me how to fish. Now, this was in 1946, at a time when grandpa took long walks every single day. When he did, he always took Buddy. Buddy was the name he had given to every one of his dogs since he was a boy, and I think this Buddy was Buddy number seven or eight. Anyway, Buddy was a pretty big fellow. I'm not sure of his mix. He was about four feet tall, and he had strong, muscular legs. He was white with dark brown spots. Folks often remarked that Buddy reminded them of a pinto pony. When they went walking, well, Buddy was always hitched up to a two-wheeled cart. This way, Grandpa could easily bring things back from wherever he went. 
<laughs> Buddy loved pulling that cart. He saw that thing as a special treat, and I did too, because the cart had a seat on it, just my size. Our usual destination was a fishing pond nearby. Other times, we'd just visit some of Grandpa's friends. One weekend, my folks were invited to attend a wedding out of town, so I got to stay with my grandparents. Before dawn on Saturday morning, however, Grandma got a call to go help her sick sister in Cheyenne. As she was getting on the train, Grandma called out to Grandpa, Now, Al, you stay out of trouble and take good care of Glenda until I get home on Sunday night. When the train left the station, Grandpa winked at me and he took me across the street to the Five and Dime for breakfast. We sat down at the counter and Grandpa looked over to me. Well, kid, well it be, you can have anything you like. I ordered a banana split. And so did Grandpa. Then we went to the house and we got Buddy. Grandpa filled the box full of stuff, got his fishing pole, and off we went. Instead of going to the nearby pond, we went to see Tom, Grandpa's friend with the green Ford truck. Grandpa and Tom loaded the cart and Buddy onto the back of the truck, and the three of us got up in front. I had never had a ride in a truck before, so Grandpa had a hard time keeping me still. I wanted to examine and touch everything. Buddy was jumping all over the back of the truck, taking it all in, just like me. I guess he had never been in a truck either. <laughs> well, about the fifth time I asked Grandpa if we were there yet. We were. Tom pulled the truck to the side of the road, and he helped us unload Buddy in the cart. As he left, he said he'd be back to get us about the time the sun was going down. Grandpa, well, he started to whistle. He always did that when he was happy. Buddy was happy, too, because he was sniffing and leaving messages on every single thing in sight. Grandpa plopped me on the seat, and we walked down the path. The trees were really tall, and I liked the way they smelled. I never knew there was such a pretty place near Laramie. And it was such a nice lake. It was blue and cool. It had some trees around for shade. Grandpa found a tree for us to sit under, and we unhooked Buddy. Grandpa fixed me up with a stick, a string, a hook, and a wiggly worm on it before he baited his own line. I held my pole over the water and watched the bugs skitter on top of the ripples, and then I kept my eye open for tadpoles. Just about the time I was starting to get hungry, <coughs> Buddy, Buddy was growling and he was pacing back and forth. I'd never seen Buddy act like that. The hairs on the top of his back were all standing straight up and he was baring his teeth. Grandpa put down his pole and he walked over next to me. And then I looked up. And I saw the black bear. He was moving in our direction. Buddy had placed himself between the bear and us. Be quiet and do exactly as I say, Grandpa said. He picked me up and he stuck me up in a tree where a branch came out from the trunk. Then he picked up a stick and he faced the bear. The bear rambled over to the cart, and, well, he proceeded to pull out our lunch, and he ate every single bit of it. 
Buddy kept his place between the bear and us. But the bear, he didn't pay any attention to Buddy. When he finished our sandwiches, however, he started to walk in our direction. His head was down. Buddy barked at the bear, he ran a circle around him, and then Buddy ran off. Buddy ran off! I whimpered, and Grandpa, he put his finger to his lips to remind me to be quiet. And then he reached up to help scoot me a little higher to the next branch. Now the bear was much closer, and I could hear him snort as he walked toward us. Then, to my amazement, Grandpa climbed into the tree to the spot that I had just left. In a matter of seconds, the bear was looking up at us. He was standing there on his hind legs with his paws on the trunk of the tree. Just then, there was a crash through the underbrush and out rushed Buddy. He was barking frantically now and he came for the bear. This caused the bear to forget all about us and focus on Buddy. Buddy ran off and the bear was in hot pursuit. When they were out of sight, Grandpa got down out of the tree quickly and he picked up what was left of our stuff. Then he took me down and put me on his shoulders and grabbed the cart by the handle and we walked quickly up the road. Buddy, Buddy, Grandpa, don't leave Buddy. Don't worry, honey. Buddy's a lot smarter and faster than that bear. As we walked up the path, Grandpa kept looking back toward the lake. We heard some barking in the distance, a huge roar, silence, and then a yelp. Grandpa knew I was worried, and he patted my leg, and he said, He'll be okay, honey. For the first time in my life, I wasn't sure I believed my grandpa. When we got to the road, it was too early for Tom to be there, so we started to walk toward town. And then we heard a familiar, <coughs> Buddy was running toward us. He had just a little small gash on one of his shoulders. Grandpa said it wasn't worth worrying about. Buddy positioned himself between the handles of the cart and he waited to be hitched up. Grandpa seemed pretty happy to do that, too. Then he put me on the seat, and we were off toward home again. What a long walk that was. The cart seat wasn't padded, and neither was I. As the sun went down, we saw the dust on the road from Tom's truck. He picked us up, and he learned about our adventure. When Grandpa told him about putting me up in a tree, Tommy hooted, and he laughed out loud. He reminded Grandpa that bears are better tree climbers than people are any day. Grandpa just chuckled, and he said that he'd always been pretty lucky, even when the odds were stacked against him. That night, Grandpa fixed me sausage and eggs for dinner, and he gave Buddy a great big bone. The next morning, Sunday, we went fishing again. Only this time, it was at the pond where we always went. On Sunday evening, when Grandma got off the train, well, I wondered if Grandpa was going to tell her about Buddy and the bear. She asked Grandpa what we'd been up to while she was away, and he looked at her and kind of nodded at me, and he said, Ah, uh, just fishing, the usual, nothing too exciting. Then he turned and gave me a wink. And that's when I knew for sure that our day at the lake with Buddy was going to be our secret. 
I never told a soul about that day, and I guess Grandpa didn't either. A while back, I came across a photo of Buddy hitched up to his cart. I asked my dad if Grandpa had ever told him about how brave Buddy had been that day on the lake. Well, my father, he just looked at me, shook his head, and he smiled softly. He said that Grandpa was always good at spinning yarns, and since I spent so much time with him when I was a little girl, well, it was no surprise that I might have fun telling stories, too. Well, here's to you, Grandpa. I'd like to think I've made you proud. In case you'd like to make my Grandpa's honey and onion tea next time you have a cold, well, here's how he concocted it for me. Cut up one big yellow onion and add the pieces to two cups of water in a saucepan. Bring the water to a boil and simmer until it's reduced to about one cup of liquid. Add three or four tablespoons of honey, more or less to taste. Sip the tea before it gets too cold to get rid of what ails you. Now, as you've probably guessed, that tea was pretty unpleasant stuff. But isn't that how it is with some of those old home remedies? I don't know if Grandpa's honey and onion tea ever really helped, but I think it must have worked for me on some level, because I'm here to tell you about it. Buddy and the Bear, a story told for you by Glenda Bonin, who traces her storytelling roots back to her granddad. It's fun to hear that tale. And of course, I've not just been listening to it with you. I've been listening to it with Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers. Trent, that's a good story. It is indeed. I really like it. Any story that's got a bear in it for me, for my money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to agree. (laughs) And also we get a little recipe for a home remedy. I I, I must say I'm none too anxious to try honey and onion tea. It sounds a little bit more like a soup, huh? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But it did have me remembering some of the things that my mom used to give us when we were ill, right? Uh Uh, we had a conversation. I mean, this is this is a simple one. This is something that a lot of people experience, of course. But I, I, uh, my my wife was talking about uh, uh, baby aspirin uh, mm-hmm. in some context over the last few days, and and as soon as she mentioned baby aspirin, I remembered. I, I can only imagine baby aspirin as this kind of uh, kind of. Uh, the sweet flavor of baby aspirin because my mom used to take a baby aspirin, crush it up with the back of a spoon, put the powdered baby aspirin in the spoon again with a little bit of water and some sugar. And that's how she'd she'd give us Mm. baby aspirin when we needed it. That makes sense. And again, a lot of people did that probably, but but that's still a potent sort of home memory for me, right? Yeah, and I mean, modern medicine has come a long way, but... You know, you can't discount some of those old remedies that people kind of discovered. Some of them, some of them have some, uh, have some merit. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and sort of even beyond their merit, right, is uh, the 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 sort of family memories that come up with them. Right? Oh, for sure. I mean, cer- certainly, you they certainly a, a bowl of chicken soup might do you some good when you're uh, when you when you've got a cold. But the memory of grandma's chicken soup or mom's chicken soup or dad's chicken soup, you know, that can do you a lot of good, too. Mm-hmm. Now, it's fun to hear a story from Glenda Bonin. And Trent, thanks for bringing it to us today. Yeah, no problem. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure to be with you in this hour of the apple seed. A moment ago, a story from Glenda Bonin called Buddy and the Bear. And coming up in just a little bit, a story from Diane Edgecombe about a little girl named Patty who wants nothing more than to be a dinosaur. But there's a lot to do before that. We've got an entry in the Radio Family Journal coming up. And we want to remind you to visit us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. There's an archive there of Appleseed episodes long and short. That's right, we've got mini-episodes there called Extras. In fact, the extra that you'll hear today is a little tune called Jeremy Brown from Mustard's Retreat. You can find these little Appleseed Extras, mini-episodes, just a single story long in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with a great story. You can find it at byuradio.org or by Googling and subscribing to the Appleseed podcast. Again, a lot coming up. We're going to hear that story from Diane Edgecombe, Patty Soros, in just a little bit. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes ignite stories for you to share around the kitchen table or the living room, here's a little memory of mine. It's about flying through the sky beneath the canopy of a powered parachute. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it, on the Appleseed. There used to be a week every autumn when the southern Utah desert was filled with the steady hum of whining engines, the whirring of long propellers, the powering upward of mighty parachutes arcing like rainbows above the red and green and brown of the wide flat earth. It was a gathering of powered parachute pilots on something like an annual pilgrimage to this place from their homes all over the country. Now, you've likely seen powered parachutes before, if only from a distance. These sturdy frame buggies hung below these grand, colorful nylon wings, humming like bees. They tool around gracefully overhead, while landbound commuters stop their cars and crane their necks for a good look. I've been on my own pilgrimage from time to time to the place from whence those shooters take off, the green field that serves as the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of their colorful trajectory. I mean, I'm not a flyer, but I've been as a spectator, and it's really something to see. I mean, it's cool enough to see from the road, from my car, but up close, it's an even larger experience. You see a a pilot in the early morning bundled up, not only against the cool of the ground level early, early morning, but also against the traumatic chill a thousand feet up in the open wind. The pilot engages the ignition switch, the engine lurches to life, and the huge propeller whirls around a diameter as long as a man is tall. The buzz of that engine is deafening up close, and the area around the propeller cage, a danger zone away from which a bystander will be forcefully warned, even by the most genial of pilots. I mean, it's dangerous around there. Now, the pilot sits down, straps himself into his seat, and then throttles forward, and the baritone of the engine whines to a straining 
tenor, the buggy screaming downfield, the field beneath the plane is no manicured runway, by the way. On the contrary, it's a furrowed field that was only recently deep in alfalfa. And so the plane grinds forward over bone-jarring terrain. There are a hundred yards of that rattling terror before him. And the engine winds higher and higher like the crescendo of a horror film and the pilot jarring up and down like he's driving over a washboard. And then just as the pilot's eyeballs seem like they're going to rattle from his skull, liftoff. Like a great gentle bird, the wheels transcend the rutted world and the tires, turning idly and joyfully in the open air, spin above the ground as it falls away below them. The pilot, who a moment ago traveled a hundred yards of jostling terror, settles instantly into airy and exultant peace, calm, or at least that's what they tell me. I've watched a thousand takeoffs but I've never left the ground myself in a powered parachute. Oddly, though, as the thrill of flight is described to me, I feel a rush of familiarity, like I know a little bit how it feels. I don't think that familiar feeling is any sort of cosmic voice, nothing like the rainbow connection that Kermit the Frog sings about, the longing that pulls sailors to sea or stargazers toward the heavens. Feeling I'm describing comes to me on the way from my house to the grocery store or from the bank to the office. I mean, that's often as rutted a runway as there is. The path of the daily grind, fraught with the jostling urgency that wonders if there'll be, I don't know, enough money for the rent or the holidays. And just when the stress is about to rattle my eyeballs from my skull, something happens. A kind word or a break in the clouds or a golden sunset over the mesas to the west, or a cell phone call from my son. and As easily as a bird rising, the wheels of my spirit leave the ground. The rutted road of the workaday world falls away beneath me and take off. I'm soaring on the wind of blessed assurance, a little moment of grace in the hubbub of the world. When I have the courage to lift my eyes from oh, whatever's troubling me on the ground and point my nose up to where I can picture the beautiful old world spreading out before me, when I think of its beauties filled with rivers and fields and trees and cities and also the smiling faces of neighbors and friends, well, the rat race chores that beset me on the ground seem to shrink to their proper size and give up their claims on me and yield up my spirit to an airy and exultant peace, like a powered parachute pilot, a little bit, maybe. And that may be why, out on that field in autumn, when I used to hear those guys talk about flying, and everyone in the circle is nodding their heads. Even though I've never left the ground myself, I find myself saying, Amen, right along with them. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. It's always a pleasure to share a memory with you, especially if it sparks a memory for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear from Diane Edgecombe with a story called Patty Saurus, and you're going to love that story. But there's a little something we've got to do first before we get to that story by Diane Edgecombe. How about we enjoy... A conversation with a friend. Stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families passing them along, telling to telling, from the pages of great books, from radio and podcasts, the things we see on screen, even our relationship with great songs, sometimes especially our relationship with great songs, and exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love here on The Appleseed. I'm joined by Don Shaline, longtime radio man, longtime musician, and longtime really... Longtime fan of The Appleseed. <laughs> In fact, Don's been with us, really, since the very beginning, <laughs> since you know? The Appleseed was just a little sapling. That's right. That's right. What about this radio show? We think we're going to call it The Appleseed. Yeah, what do you Think. Those are the words of Don Shaline. <laughs> yeah. And Don, it's great to have you with us today. And and uh, you're you're here primarily in your capacity as a, well as a music lover, someone right. who who the story of his life has unfolded to to great songs. You know, it really has. And maybe sometime I'll, I'll want to come in and talk about that fact of how I was rocking from the cradle, basically. <laughs> but um, but if it's okay, I would like to get a little sappy and <laughs> sappy on the yeah. apple seed. Yeah, but don't. There's probably there there's probably a tree joke in there. Sapling. Somewhere. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, talking about love songs and because again, music can carry such emotion and power with yeah. it. But certain times, I know in all of our lives, there will be some song that just at the right time, the right relationship, the right moment, whatever. It just sticks, and it just goes straight to the heart. And so I'm going to talk about one today, and this is actually kind of a sad song at a sad moment in my sad love life of oh, early teenage years. Sad songs say so much. They say so much, Elton, <laughs> um, that I, I was just kind of in the waning uh, months. You know, it wasn't yeah. a, a year maybe in this relationship uh, where— it felt like it was kind of falling apart. I really liked the girl, but it seemed like, no, it's kind of not working. Yeah. And we were we went over to her friend's house, on and on the TV at the time was a nighttime rock and roll show. And on the show was Three Dog Night, who just made a career out of doing other people's songs, arguably better than that person ever did their <laughs> song. Uh, and you never really knew. A lot of times they were unknown writers or at the time that they did their songs and, yeah. and made them big. But this particular song, I honestly can't remember who the original writers of the song were, but this was in the waning years as well of Three Dog Night. <laughs> and I remember them being on stage. This was It was the same time they came out with Must Let the Show Go On, and they oh, had yeah. on clown face kind of like they were the sad clown, you know. <laughs> right. uh, and... They started singing this song that started with the Mellotron, which I love the Mellotron, which is this kind of cheesy sounding string, you know, the, right, the, the right, blues yeah. use. But, but so groundbreaking, but, right? The yeah, Mellotron. Oh yeah, yeah. You hear that Mellotron. It, way before such an iconic... synthesizers, it was like, you have strings and you yeah. don't have an orchestra. That's right. Uh, and the song was called, I'd Be So Happy. 
it's kind of oh, a sad the irony. song, yes. right? <laughs> and it just—it's just got this kind of sad minor chord that breaks into a major chord. I'd be so happy uh, chorus. Yeah, yeah. And I just—that really struck me at the time for all the things that were breaking up, which Three Dog yeah. Night was, as well as this relationship. <laughs> and so, anyway, that's a song I want to bring to this part of the show. Oh, I can hear it now. I can hear it now. <laughs> you know, th- there's something, I, you know I always say this, but I think songs are like zip files. You know, yeah. you touch a song from your past and it just opens up it to does. be much bigger than, you know. Yeah. You hear, for the rest of your life, you'll hear this song and it'll take you, even if you haven't thought about, you know, not just the girl, but the yeah. the, 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 the place you, you lived and how you felt and right, the car and you drove. The, and The, the you clothes know. you were wearing, the body you were in at that young age or whatever, you know, <laughs> everything about it. Just, it, it is a moment in time that it that music sure takes is. you right back to. What, what is the car you were driving back then, Don? You, oh, you can hear the song and suddenly you're... <laughs> Well, I'd just <laughs> recently gone from a 1960 Volvo, which uh, kind of died. but uh, <laughs> Like the relationship. Yes. But, but however, I was in a newer 1970 Mustang. There it is. They were talking. There it yeah. is. Oh. Mm, so. You know, I heard my introduction to Three Dog Night was, of course, I've never been to Spain. Oh, yeah. I kind of like the music. Yeah. And I, and, and my the, the, the stereo speakers in my little... Subaru would not go loud enough, <laughs> as la- as loud as I wanted to hear right, that song. Right, because it, yeah. it starts quiet and then That's cranks right. up, yeah. <laughs> oh, a sappy love song, a yes. sad song reminding you of sad times. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's, it's, it's sure, there's something kind of bittersweet about remembering the sad times in a life that has unfolded with a, a lot of sweeter times. Oh, they sure have. Yeah. yeah. But once in a while, you go back to the sad just for fun. <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Why do we like to do that? We, we sure do, don't yeah. we? we? We go back. We like to go back to those melancholy memories and music takes us there. And so we, it does. we keep those pieces of music close to us. You know? I, yeah. And, and I, to me, it relates in, in a way even to the seasons. You have spring that is full of the promise of life. You have summer that is, you know, just uh, so full of all kinds of life and things like that. Then you have kind of the dying feeling of fall, the kind of like, oh, things are contracting and leaves are falling and uh, the weather is getting colder and all those things that it's a very melancholy time, but I love that time of year. I don't know why. And then winter, Don. And, and then, then winter. winter. And then and sad then... old winter. <laughs> Deep snow. That's right. And then, of course, spring comes back. That's yes. the endless cycle. And we can go We can go to any of those places that we want with great uh, the, the, the great stories of our lives brought to mind by great music. The seasonal wisdom there we of go. Don Shaline. Seasons in yeah. the sun, for sure. <laughs> Don, thanks so much for joining (laughs) us. You know, I love to talk about music, and and really, uh, I leave these conversations firing up the stereo and listening to some of those songs. Check that one out. It's from the album Hard Labor by Three Dog Night. And and that was the truth. It was a hard labor for them to get that album done. (laughs) (laughs) Don Shaline, thanks for joining us. 
Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the meals that we share, the films that we love, the books that we treasure, the songs that we remember, and of course, from the tales told from teller to listener, sometimes through generations and generations. Always a pleasure to chat with Don Shaline about a favorite song. We'll be back with a story called Patty Saurus by Diane Edgecombe, a story about a little girl who wants nothing more than to be a dinosaur. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you in this hour of the Apple Seed. A moment ago, a conversation with Don Shaline about an old Three Dog Night song called I'd Be So Happy. And up next, Diana Edgecombe with a story about a little girl named Patty. Now, Patty was like many kids. She liked dinosaurs, but she was different in how much she liked them, maybe. She shunned her family and friends in favor of dinosaurs. She wanted nothing more than to be a dinosaur. Well, it sounds like there's a story in there somewhere. Diane Edgecombe is going to tell it to us. It's Patty Saurus on the Appleseed. pigtailed Patty was a perfectly ordinary four-foot girl, except for one thing. She was wild about dinosaurs. She loved dinosaurs. She ate, drank, and slept dinosaurs every single minute of every single day. In the morning, She would hurry right over to the breakfast table, but she wouldn't put jam or jelly on her toast. No way, not Patty. She would spread her bread with prehistoric slime. (laughs) And then she'd wash it down with old fossil juice. Tastes like my little brother's sandbox. And at night, when she went to sleep, she snuggled under dino land bedsheets and put her tiny little head on a Cretaceous monster's pillow. Her mother, Ellen, and her father, Henry, liked to peek in on Patty to see how she was sleeping. Right this way, Henry, dear. Right what way, Ellen? I can't even see the floor with all these toys. Just walk carefully, dear. The room is booby-trapped. Booby-trapped? Oh, shh. Here she is. Doesn't she look so cute? I can't get over there, Ellen. There's there's just too much stuff in here. Ay-ya-ya-ya-yow! I just stepped on a piggy bank with spikes. <laughs> That's not a piggy, honey. That's a stegosaurus. Well, whatever it is, it just jabbed me in the foot. <laughs> I'll help you back to our room, dear. Who gave her that thing? We did, honey. 
Don't you remember? It was a dark and stormy night, and we were passing by Fail Schwartz when suddenly... Patty's room was filled with dinosaur everything. She had dinosaur blasters and ticklers and yo-yo machines. She sang dinosaur songs, played dinosaur harmonica, threw dinosaur splat friends against the wall, and hung up a poster on the door to her room that said, Keep out. T-Rex needs space. Sometimes Patty tried to make herself look like a dinosaur. She would put on a long neck jumpsuit with an attachable tail, snap on a three-horn hard hat, get out her sharp tooth false teeth that velcroed right onto her lips, and take a bubbling lizard's bath so that her hair and skin would look like a reptile's. Patty's room could be a little creepy if you looked in at night. Skeletons of T-Rex and Triceratops dangled from the ceiling. Glow-in-the-dark dinosaur footprints walked up and down the walls. The prehistoric furniture rumbled and lit up like molten lava. And her wall-mounted pterodactyl cuckoo clock screeched every night at 3 a.m. for no apparent reason. Patty was so busy with all her dinosaur toys, she never had time for anything or anyone else. One day, her little brother Samuel peeked into her room. There he saw his big sister Patty carefully flossing her newest dinosaur teeth. Patty, he said, can I please, please, please play what you're playing? No, Samuel! Don't you come in this room! You might break my fossil imprints or lose the chips on my trip on a three-horn game. And look at those gooey hands. If you even touch my robotic hadrosaurs, they will not wiggle when they walk. But Mom says you should let me play with you. Dad says you should let me play with you. But you can't play with me, said Patty. These toys are mine. Well, Patty's mother tried to get her to be more generous. Cupcake, she said, you have enough dinosaur toys. Now, why don't you share some with your brother, Sammy? Patty? said her father. You have too many dinosaur toys. If you don't share your dinosaur toys, you're going to turn into a dinosaur. That's okay with me, said Patty, because I don't have enough dinosaurs. I need more, 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 <gasps> more. Patty's birthday was coming up. And of course, Ellen wanted everything to go just right. She planned on decorating the living room in pink and white and having the sweetest day for her daughter. Cupcake, she said. What would you like for your birthday, little wonder? Would you like a doll? Or an easy-bake oven? No, said Patty, I want... Dinosaur things, I know, honey. You have enough dinosaur things. And her father said, Patty, 
You have too many dinosaur things. If you get one more dinosaur thing, you're going to turn into a dinosaur. But, said Patty, I want a dinosaur birthday party. I need more dinosaur things. I need more, 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 more. In the end, her parents gave in and threw the biggest dinosaur birthday party that neighborhood had ever seen. Ellen spent all day hanging helium pterodactyls and making prehistoric egg salad and setting up the Tyrannosaurus Rex fountain. It was so lifelike. It showed its fangs and it drooled lemonade. Patty had a fantabulous time at her party. She didn't speak to any of her friends. She just snuck around under the tables, popping out and scaring everybody with her roars. And when it came time to open the presents, she tore through the wrapping paper and piled up a stack of the newest dinosaurs. Samuel peeked around the stack. Patty, he said, you forgot to say thank you. I don't have to say thank you, said Patty. All the dinosaurs in the world are mine. Well, when it came time for the guests to leave, Patty didn't even wave goodbye. She just opened up a prehistoric board game and she took every turn herself. Samuel tugged on her sleeve. Patty, he said, you have so many new dinosaur toys. Could, could I play with some of your old ones? Patty's eyes bugged out of her head. She turned lime green. No! No, you can't, Samuel, she said. My toys are mine. All the rest of that day, Patty felt strange. And that evening, when she took her bubbling lizard's bath, she noticed that her skin stayed a scaly green and it wouldn't scrub off, no matter how hard she tried. That night, as she lay in bed counting, Platyosaurus, Camarasaurus, Snorriosaurus, she felt like stretching her neck. But when she stretched her neck, boing! Her head and neck shot out from her body. She felt like moving her jaw, but when she did, her mouth grew and grew, and her teeth had great grinding surfaces. Her arms 
and her legs grew thick as tree stumps. She wiggled and she shook until she was so heavy that she broke her bed. Her enormous body filled the room, shoving the furniture against the walls, scraping the toys up and out the windows until she was so big that she burst through the back wall of the house. Her back end bulldozed across the yard, flattening the swing set, tearing up the lawn until she was stopped by the fence. But that wasn't the end of it. Oh no, she bloop! She grew a tail! The tail poked through the neighbor's fence, uncurling like a fat green ribbon, unrolling, 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 until at last the end of it dipped, boink, into the Johnson's prize swimming pool. Patty swung her head around. This was it. She was a gigantic dinosaur. As long as three school buses, as tall as a house, and weighing as much as 12 elephants. Unfortunately, her brain did not grow at all. In fact, it shrunk. Ever so slightly, but it was still large enough for her to realize that by stretching her long neck up, up from the backyard to the second floor, she could still rest her head quite comfortably on what was left of her Cretaceous monster's pillow. Blah! It was three o'clock in the morning. And Samuel, awakened by the pterodactyl cuckoo clock that screeches every night at 3 a.m. for no apparent reason, Samuel kind of got out of bed and, oh, he kind of wandered down the hall. And Samuel kind of wandered into Patty's room. Wow! (laughs) Wicked cool! (laughs) Mom! Dad! Patty's a monster! I know she is, honey. Just go back to sleep. No, Mom! Dad, get in here quick! Patty is a monster! No, honey, I know she's been difficult to live with, but I'll take care of this, Henry, dear. Ooh, I can't believe I have to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning and solve the children's squabbles. I'll just have to tell them that it's a... It's a... It's a... Wah! Ellen! Ellen! What's going on in that bedroom? Boom, 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 boom! Ah! I told you. Mom, Dad, Patty's a monster. A dinosaur, in fact. Cupcake? <laughs> Little cupcake? Are you in there? Are you in there, sweetness? But the dinosaur only opened its mouth and said, More! <laughs> That's our patty, all right. Mom, 
Dad, I think she's hungry. Oh, dear. I'll go see what I can find out of the refrigerator. I told you this was going to happen. I told you if she got one more dinosaur thing, she was going to turn into a dinosaur. Now, what do you have to say for yourself, young lady? More! I think I'm having a nightmare. I'm going back into the bedroom to sleep this one off. Uh, Ellen, I'd like you to wake me up when it's over. All that night, Ellen fed Patty and fed Patty and fed Patty. She gave her everything out of the refrigerator. The leftover prehistoric egg salad, the wilted lettuce, the zucchini she never had time to cook, the ice cubes, the ice cube trays. But Patty always wanted... More! <laughs> I don't know what more else we're going to get you, sweetness. You've eaten everything out of the refrigerator. Refrigerator, honey, honey, don't eat that. <laughs> it's metal. <laughs> no, honey, stop. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I think I'd better go wake up uh, Henry. <laughs> Henry, dear. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's time to feed Patty. Oh, just uh, give her something out of the refrigerator. <laughs> She's eating the refrigerator, honey. She's eating the refrigerator? Now, honey, just calm down if we don't get her something more to eat. She may start eating the house. The house? Now, honey, <laughs> just remember your blood pressure. <laughs> Breathe, relax. Breathe, relax. Breathe, relax. There now, honey. Here's what you can do to help. I don't want to help that thing. I want my little girl back. Oh, we all do, honey. But in the meantime, we're in big trouble. Just look at this picture in Patty's dinosaur book. Do you see that big one with the long neck? <laughs> That's our daughter. And it says here that sauropods like this like to eat soft, woody plants. So, honey, I took the liberty of bringing you your hedge clippers. <laughs> the lawnmower's right outside the window. You can feed her the hedge clippings and the lawn clippings and the drain pipe expectorant. Wow, said Samuel. If Patty eats all that, she's a pig. <gasps> Samuel, your sister is not a pig. <laughs> She's an apatosaurus. <laughs> Maybe we should call her <laughs> Patty-saurus. <laughs> Patty-saurus. <laughs> and then I'd be Mommy-saurus. <laughs> Mommy now, now, Ellen, don't get hysterical. Come over here to the window and get a nice breath of... No! No! She's about to sit on my tool shed. No, she's going to squish it. Mom, Dad, could I take Patty for a walk? Oh, yes, Samuel. What a wonderful idea. Take your sister for a long walk. <laughs> but Samuel, remember, when you're crossing the street, always make sure you take hold of your sister's hand. <gasps> hold on to your sister's hand. Your sister's hand. <gasps> Never mind, honey. <laughs> Just try not to get stepped on. 
Samuel was so proud, walking down the street with his sister on a leash. He was the only boy in the neighborhood who had a dinosaur for a sister. But walking a dinosaur was a tough job because Patty always wanted more. She ate the trees. She consumed the hedges. She ate ten lawns, crabgrass and all. She ate the Johnson's prize rose bushes and the McGillicuddy sycamore gum tree. And always she wanted more. Patty, I don't know what more else I'm going to get you. You've, you've eaten everything green in the neighborhood. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe dinosaurs like pizza. That's it, Patty. I'm going to go get you a pizza. I better get you a pizza with the works. <laughs> Ooh, I better get you five pizzas. <laughs> I better get you 50 pizzas. I better, I better, better. I don't have any money. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, could I please borrow? You're mad about your prize rose bushes? Mr. McGillicuddy, Mr. McGillicuddy, would you, would you, your sycamore gum tree? I know, uh, my, uh, my sister ate it. But just then, Patty was bellowing more and making the strangest sound. And Patty started to shrink. She went from 72 feet to 52 feet. Don't shrink, Patty. She went from 52 feet to 32 feet. Please, please don't shrink. She went from 32 feet to 22 feet to 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ah. And there stood Patty, her perfectly ordinary four-foot self. Patty, you're not a dinosaur anymore. I know I'm not, Samuel. Didn't you like being a dinosaur? I didn't like it. I loved it. I was really big and huge. I stomped around all over the place. I could see for miles and miles. But you know, the only thing I could think was more, 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 more. And it's not easy to get enough more when you're like a giant apatosaurus that eats like a jillion pizzas. I don't know. I want to do something different. Come on, Samuel. Let's go play with some of my birthday presents. P play with some of, some of your... Yeah! <laughs> and, and Patty, on the way home, let's both pretend that we're dinosaurs. Okay. Hey, Samuel. First, we'll pretend that I'm a giant apatosaurus 
and you're my friend, this tiny little Triceratops, and you get your head stuck in the Johnson's prize fence. And when we go walking past, I want you to just... And so they went off together, talking together, and playing together, and that turned out to be the most fun of all. Patisaurus, a story told for you by Diane Edgecombe about a little girl who wants nothing more than to be a dinosaur. Well, it's been our pleasure to be with you today and to bring to you stories like Patisaurus by Diane Edgecombe, a conversation with Don Shaline about an old three-dog night tune called I'd Be So Happy, an entry in the Radio Family Journal about powered parachutes, of all things, and at the top of the hour, Buddy and the Bear, a story by Glenda Bonin from a collection of stories called Family Gazette. You know, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. And if that happens for you, share them with us as well. You can write them down and send them to us by email at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's theappleseed at byu.edu. Such pleasure to be with you, and I can't wait to join you again on The Appleseed. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.